0: In Jeremiah, the 10th chapter, the the prophet Jeremiah said this. He says, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It's not for man to direct his steps. It's an interesting statement. It's it's not for man to direct his steps. Why? Because the Word of God tells us that, that God orders our steps. And we can trust in that. Last week, we started this new series entitled GPS, and and last week, we talked about the idea of recalibrating our compass, or recalculating that path. This morning, I want to continue that series, I want to talk to you about understanding the destination, determining the destination, but I'm going to take it. A different tact at it. When I uh, when I got here this morning, my, my plan was to preach out of Psalm 119, uh, but I, I'm, I feel like God wants us to go a different direction this morning. So I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to the book of Haggai. Uh, if you go to the where the Old Testament ends, the New Testament begins, the end of the Old Testament is, is Malachi. And then um, just you'll find this just in front of, Malachi, you'll find Zechariah, and then just in front of Zechariah, you'll find Haggai. It's a small book, uh, two chapters. Uh, in fact, it is uh, it is the second smallest uh, book in the Bible. And so, uh, shifting from from uh, preaching, teaching this morning out of the longest chapter in the Bible to uh, I want to talk to you out of the the shortest book in the Bible. It's a it's a profound prophetic statement that Haggai makes for for both the people of that day, and I believe that it is a prophetic statement for the church universally today, and I believe this, I believe it is a a significant prophetic statement for Calvary Orlando, something that God wants us to have an understanding in both our heart and our mind, in in our intellect and in the depths of our soul of who He is and what He wants to accomplish in our midst. Now, let me give you a little bit of a, a background. Uh, Haggai writes, and he is one of the post-exilic prophets, the children of Israel are just coming out of exile. God, for, for generations, he warns his, his people, the children of Israel, about their rebellious ways. And and they don't turn, they don't turn, they don't turn. And as a result, as a result of their rejection of God, as a result of their pursuing their own interests, God takes His hand of protection off of them, and they are they are conquered. And they're conquered by this this king at Nebuchadnezzar, and and it, that 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 started in about 607 BC. And then eventually, where, where the Israels are starting to be being taken away, they're starting to be taken into captivity, and this happens in a number of different phases, the last of which happens in about 587, 586 B.C., when, when finally Nebuchadnezzar comes and just totally conquers Jerusalem. And so, if you go from 607 B.C. to 537 B.C., it's 70 years, which is, which is what God spoke prophetically to his, to his children that they would be in captivity for 70 years. And so for 70 years, the children of Israel found themselves in captivity, uh, first by the Persians, then, uh, uh, first by the Babylonians, then by the Persians. And so what happens is this. After 70 years, King Cyrus conquers Nebuchadnezzar, and, and under King Cyrus there is the opportunity for the children of Israel to go back to their homeland. And so we have from from 537 to 522, we have the children of Israel returning back, uh, originally about 50,000 of them returning back from exile, uh, from Babylon, returning back to their homeland, returning back to Jerusalem. And so, so they've been, they've been now uh, back in Jerusalem for about two decades, about 20 years. And God gives Haggai this word. So starting in Haggai 1, verse 1, it says, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, um. Uh, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has, y- has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came to- through the prophet Haggai, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Uh, I I love what it says here. Give careful thought to your ways. Uh, Another translation puts puts it this way. Consider your ways. Give careful thought to or consider your ways. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You you put on clothes, but you're you're never warm. You, You eat, you drink, you never have your fill. You put... Wages in your pockets, and it, it seems as if you have holes in your pockets. Consider your ways. I, I want those words, I want them to resound in your heart and in your mind this morning. Give careful thought to your ways. Consider your ways. There's a a way that seems right to man. But it leads to futility. It it ultimately leads to death. It leads to eternal separation from God. It's interesting to me that Jesus says that there will be many who will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And Jesus says this, I will say to them, depart from me for I never knew you. Now here's what we can be confident about. That those who were living in Jerusalem at the time, that they had a desire for the things of God. In fact, here's what they did. They, they left captivity and and. and took the arduous journey back to their homeland because that was important to them. They, they, were, they were people who were willing to take some risk. They were, they were people that were adventurers and they were, they were people who understood prophetically what God had spoken over them about being His people, being His children, being His chosen race. They, they understood all of this. And they also, they had a great appreciation for their heritage, for for the history. They could tell you all of the stories. They could tell you the wonderful things that that God did through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. They they knew intimately the stories of Gideon and and Noah. They they celebrated the conquering hero that that King David was. And, And they could... They could talk about all of the wonderful things that happened in the past. And unfortunately, they lived their life looking at the rearview mirror. And they allowed themselves to be content with false finish lines. When I was seven years old, my family moved from, from Coal Valley, Illinois, a little town right on the Iowa-Illinois border. And that's a little town, but it's actually part of a, a, a larger area. every about a half a million people. And uh, we moved from Coal Valley, Illinois to Cape Coral, Florida. My father moved before us. And uh, he had moved in the, in the fall of 1972 to establish a new business. And in March of 1973, I put my winter coat in a bag that was going to my cousins because I wasn't going to need that anymore because we were going to Florida. <laughs> my mom loaded up everything that we needed to take with us into a, the biggest U-Haul trailer that she could tow on the back of a 1973 Ford LTD station wagon. And my mother and eight children, you heard me correctly, eight children climbed into a Ford station wagon and we headed south. I'm number seven of eight, so you know where I sat for the entire ride, correct? Those of you that remember those those old station wagons growing up. By the way, this Ford LTD, it was gorgeous because up until a year prior, we had a Rambler station wagon. And so it was nice to say goodbye to that Rambler and get this luxurious, luxurious, Ford LTD, limited edition. Had the, had the fake wood panels on the side. It was, I'm telling you, it was glorious. And off we went. I'll never forget the first place we stopped, this truck stop in Indiana where my brothers convinced me that this big thing of whipped butter was whipped cream. And they said, here, you want to take a big bite of this? This is whipped cream. We'll let you take a bite of it first. And so, needless to say, it was a rough trip for me. But we're going to Florida. Man, so excited. And my mom would tell us, 700 miles to Florida, 600 miles to Florida, 500 miles to Florida, 400 miles to Florida, 300 miles, 200, 100. Man, when we got to Valdosta, we, I mean, it was tears streaming down our joy. We're almost to the promised land. We're almost to Florida. And we got across the border, and there was a the big sign, Anita Bryant, waving us in. Right? Got there, got our free thing of orange juice. We're in Florida, glorious Florida. I I quickly learned two things right there at that rest area, right there at that welcome center. Number one, cactus are not something you should play with. Number two, fire ants are not like the ants that you find in Illinois and Iowa. Wow, I have come to a brave new world and I'm five miles in and I hate it but at least we're finally here, we're home. No, we're not. Okay, kids, time to get back in the car. What do you mean get back in the car? You said we were going to Florida. We have arrived. Eight more hours. It is a long way from Lake City, Florida to Fort Myers, Florida. It's an incredibly long way when you're doing it in the 70s in a Ford LTD station wagon before they figured out how to get an interstate all the way to South Florida and with eight other people. You might not believe in purgatory. I have been through it. (laughs) See, I, I thought... I thought that... Getting to Florida meant that we had arrived. Little did I know that there was was much more to the journey. And I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that so much of modern theology and so much of what we do in teaching people easy believism that we convince people that all you have to do is show up for an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 30 minutes on Sunday morning at church, check off a few boxes, and you're good, you're in. We, We try to make this connection with Christ so easy that we sell it short. And God's plan for you, friend, isn't simply for you To put in a little bit of time on Sunday morning. It's not that you simply become a believer. He wants you to have an understanding of what it means to be a fully functioning follower of Christ. And for the people in Haggai's day, the idea of getting back to their homely and they felt like they had arrived. We're in. We're done. It's enough. We're back in Jerusalem. Glory be! Let's all celebrate. And for almost 20 years, they, they talked about the things of God. They, they talked about His former glory. They talked about all of these great things. But it was a false finish line. The word of the Lord comes to Haggai. And says this. You, you say it's, it's not yet time. But how is it that you're living in your paneled houses while my house lies in ruins. Consider your ways. A comment that I make fairly regularly, and I make this comment fairly regularly because I think it's so vitally important that we have an understanding of this that anything that you put in front of God is going to be the stress area in your life. That anything that you put in front of God is going to be the pressure point for you. If you're here this morning and you find yourself stressed because of a relationship, I can guarantee you it's because you put that relationship in front of your relationship with God. If you're here today and you're stressed because of your job, it's because you put that job in front of God. If you're here today and you're you're stressed because of your stuff, because of your finances, I, I have yet to find somebody who's stressed over finances that have that has given God charge over their finance and, and are obedient in what God's Word says regarding stewardship. Oh, not, not that you don't face challenges when you put God first in these areas of your life. The, the Word of God says this, in this world you will have trouble. But here's what we find. Thanks be to God who always, 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 always leads us into triumph. So in that, that peace, the peace that Paul wrote about, the peace that, that surpasses all understanding, that guards our heart and mind in Christ Jesus, it works. And so I can trust God in every relationship if my vertical relationship is right. If my vertical relationship, the relationship between, between me and God is right, my other relationships work. If in the activities of life I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, everything else seems to fall into place. And here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that all across America and around the world, the church is filled with people who have a love for God, but God is not their first love. And so we give God enough that we think that we can check off the box. And the simple truth is this because of God's amazing grace, He still extends His mercy and His favor and His blessing to us. But we leave ourselves so far short of what God really intends for us and all that He wants to accomplish in us and through us and all that He wants to bring to us and all that He wants to give to us. And as a result of that, instead of focusing on what's happening in the now, we tend to look back at when God blessed in the past and go, oh, wasn't God good? It's almost like the Pharisee, when Jesus is at the banquet and the Pharisee says this in Jesus' presence, oh, won't it be a glorious time when the Messiah comes? Really? Really? We can't see the forest for the trees. And and that's what's happening here in 520 BC in post-exilic Jerusalem. And God speaks, give careful thought to your ways. Here's, here's what I find that's very interesting, is this. The distractions in life, those issues, that God always has an answer for them. If we'll simply pause and listen to His voice. One of the the most important things about reaching a desired destination is this. It's to have a an accurate understanding of what the starting point is and what the destination point is. Point A to point B. It's very difficult to get from point A to point B if you don't honestly acknowledge where A is. And have a clear understanding of what B is. And I think part of human nature is to overstate our position. Whether it be what we're doing professionally. Um, men, what we're able to accomplish physically. Right? I could do 50 push I could do 100 push-ups. I could do, right? Okay, do it. I find this happens somewhat regularly. A few years ago, I started running, and I'll have people go, I could, oh, I'd love to run with you. Yeah, it's not a problem. I'm in pretty good shape. I can run five miles. And a half mile in, they're wheezing on the side of the road. We tend to overstate our starting point. And we tend to sell ourselves short on what is the real destination. God doesn't want you to be a Christian as one who is escaping the flames. And understand this, understand the character of God. The character of God is this, God is a lover and God is a rewarder. God is a lover and God is a rewarder. God is a lover and God is a rewarder. Why is it then that so many Christians don't experience much of God's reward? Here's the reason why. Because we justify where we're at instead of dealing honestly with God about point A and acknowledging the fact that we are sinners born in sin and if it weren't for the grace of God, we would be utterly and completely lost. We're really good about communicating our resume. You, sir, are a sinner. You, ma'am, are a sinner. That's what you are. You're either a sinner saved by grace, or you're a sinner who, right now, is in charge of their own destiny, which is going to lead you to eternal separation from God. And we t- tend to misunderstand and sell short point B. Christianity is about so much more than fire insurance. So much more. And so, to the children of Israel that were back in Jerusalem, but in the promised land, doing their own thing instead of God's thing, here's what God says starting in verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways, Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Because of my house, which remains a ruin. While each of you is busy with his own house, while each of you is busy with his own house. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. I want that to sink in for a moment. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Oh, I'm not a bad person. The people in Jerusalem in 520 B.C., they were not bad people. They weren't worshiping false idols. It it, it didn't appear that they were involved in a whole lot of immoral behavior. And yet, they were missing out on the blessing of God and the presence of God. Why? On the surface, it would seem like what they were doing was fine. But their priorities were off. can't tell you how many times as a pastor that I've, I've heard parents say this. I've heard parents say, you know what, once I get my kids out of this phase of life, then I'm going to get involved in church. Then I'm going to get more involved in ministry. But right now, my kids have to come first. Isn't that biblical, sir, ma'am, it is absolutely biblical. Your kids come first. That's the reason why you should have them in church. And it shocks me, it shocks me, it shocks me how many godly people today that they will pull their children out of school for a sporting event. They'll pull their children at a church for a sporting event. I guarantee you, sir, when you are old and gray, your children aren't going to say, Dad, thanks for coming to my volleyball game. Here's what they're going to say. Thanks for connecting me with Jesus. See, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it it leads to death. It's very easy for us to be caught up doing the good things and missing out on the God things. I also appreciate that God gives this instruction to them. He says this. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. I want you to notice this who provides the resource for the house of God to be built? God does. Right? God does. Everything that's needed for you to accomplish, everything that God has written on the scroll of His will for you, He provides for that. So here's where I find provision. I find provision for life when I'm in the center of God's will. says this starting in verse 12 Then Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel Joshua son of Jehozadak the high priest and the whole room of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord Then Haggai the Lord's messenger gave this message of the Lord to the people I am with you declares the Lord so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord God, their God, on the, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the sixth year of King Darius. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the remnant of the people, ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? The temple of the Lord that Solomon built was breathtaking. And now This remnant with with logs from the forest are building this temple, and to the human eye, it seems like nothing compared to what they had before. What was there prior was, was glorious. It was gilded. It was spectacular. It, 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 you could not come close to it without clearly recognizing its grandeur. And, and what was before them that day was nothing close. It didn't even seem like a shadow of the former temple. And so you can only imagine what was happening in that moment, right? Those who had been in Jerusalem before Nebuchadnezzar's invasion, those who had been there and remembered the temple in all of its glory are looking at what they're doing now. and. And you can almost understand their discouragement, can't you? Well, it's, it's great that we're rebuilding the temple, but it's not what it was. It's not what it was. It's not what it was. It's easy for us, for folks that have grown up in the in the church world. We, we could talk about the The glory days. Remember men when there were full gospel businessmen meetings as far as the eye could see? Women's aglow gatherings, that all we had to do is put out one announcement of something happening in the church and the church would be filled to the rafters. Remember those days? How about those of you that grew up at Calvary? Remember back in the late 70s, remember the Jesus festivals when thousands of people would come to this Christian concert put on by Calvary? And and when Sunday mornings were packed in the old sanctuary multiple times over and and Sunday night service, you better get here early for a seat. Well, those were the good old days. And I'm not here, friend, I'm not here to take anything away from that, just like In the days of Haggai, God did not speak in any way negatively about what the temple had been. But here's what he said. He said this, you're looking at the wrong thing. The temple was simply offered as an offering to God. It wasn't the building that made it important. It was the fact that it was the place that God dwelled. And without God's presence in the temple, it is nothing more than brick and mortar. It's nothing more than any other edifice that you will see, any other structure that exists. God says this, verse number two of Haggai 2, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. I I want you to speak, he says this to Haggai, I want you to speak to the person who is the political leader of Jerusalem, Zerubbabel. I want you to speak to the religious leader of the people, Joshua. I want you to speak to those in leadership, both civically and in the church, and I want you to speak to all the people. And I want you to ask them, who of you has left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? There are the curious and the critics in Orlando that would look at Calvary. In fact, they would come in here and they would see who's here today. And they would go, oh, wow. I remember when that church was full. First of all, let me help you that history is an interesting thing. This sanctuary seats 5,500. This church has never ran more than around 3,000. It's never been full. That being said, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that there's less than 3,000 here today. The carpet needs to be replaced. The pews are getting old. And it's easy for the critic or the one who lives in the past to go, man, it's, it's not what it was. Some have said this. It can never be what it was. Here's what I appreciate about what God was doing in Haggai's day and what God is doing in our day. God did not ask them To build the old temple. Let me say this again. God did not ask them to build the old temple. God didn't ask them to duplicate what they had had in the past. Here's what he asked them to do he asked them to build something new. And here's what he said about it he says, Who of you is left? who saw this house in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O, Jeho- uh, o Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all ye people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord God Almighty. And this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while... I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the desired of all nations will come. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty, and and in this place I will grant peace. I'm convinced of this, friends. I'm convinced what God spoke to Haggai in 520 B.C., that that's what He's speaking over Calvary Assembly of God in 2015. God's not worried about finance. The silver is His. The gold is His. God's not worried about what a place looks like. He's concerned about the glory of the Lord. And He says this, that the glory of the Lord that is coming will be greater than the glory of the Lord that has ever been experienced in the past. Listen. That was the promise of God in 520 B.C., and he's the same God. It's okay for you to clap for that. But here's the thing. If you're going to clap for that, then you have to receive the word, consider your ways. Let me say that again. It's okay to clap about, God, we want you to do something great and glorious in our midst. But you cannot have God doing something great and glorious in your midst if you're not willing to consider your ways. He's calling you, friend, to commitment. He's calling you, friend, to holiness. He's calling you, friend, to purpose. And here's what I love about God. When we deal with our distractions, and that's what we find in the the beginning of, of Haggai, they're distracted by all their stuff, by their house and their things. And when we give to God our discouragements, oh God, we don't know if it can be what it once was and and all of that. Here's, Here's what you'll find. You'll find this. That God will extend His grace. He'll bring... Deliverance. He'll bring hope. He'll bring blessing. He'll bring strength. There were three words that God gave to Haggai. Number one: consider your ways. Number two: recognize that it is the glory of the Lord in the house that matters, and He's bringing a new glory. Number three: Haggai two ten. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or or other food, does it become consecrated? In other words, if I have this holy thing, and this holy thing touches this unholy thing, Does the unholy thing then become holy? And the priest said, no. By the way, some of you in your relationships, you need to take that to heart. That's a a free bonus this morning. Some of you in the activity of your life, you've got these areas of of your life that are holy, but you've got these areas in your life that are unholy, and and you justify that because you've got these holy areas in your life. Mm, doesn't work that way. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body, it's kind of graphic, huh? If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? So if something that is unclean, if something that is unholy, if something that is unhealthy touches something that is healthy, what does it do to that thing which which is holy, which is healthy? It makes it unholy, it makes it unhealthy, it makes it defiled. The priest said, yes, that's exactly what happens. It becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with these people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is is defiled. Listen to this. Now give careful thought to this. From this day on, consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. In other words, when anyone came to this stack of grain and there, was, and there was 20 measures of that grain, it really only amounted to 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. The temple's not done yet. All they've done is done the foundational work, okay? So it's not like they've, it's not like they've accomplished some great thing yet. It's not like they could bask on it and go, wow, look what God accomplished through us. Or if they get stuck a little bit in vanity, look at what I've accomplished. They really haven't accomplished anything to this point. And here's what God says From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But from this day on, I will bless you. Here's what I find wonderful about God and what He does. If we simply turn to Him, He's not a ruthless taskmaster. In fact, God didn't create you to serve him. He created you to have a relationship with him. So he doesn't say, hey, if you get X, Y, and Z done, then what I will do is I'll compensate you for that. If you get A, B, and C done, then what I'll do is I'll reward you. No, here's what he says. If you just simply turn to me, He says, you've not rebuilt the temple. You are still living in your panel houses. All that there is the temple is the foundation. But even at that state, from this day forward, I will bless you. It speaks of the character of God, it speaks of his heart. It is not God's desire to withhold blessing from you, friend. It's it's not God's desire to withhold favor from you. It's not God's plan to withhold His presence from the church, His strength from the church, His anointing from the church, His blessing from the church. But here's what we have to stop doing. We have to stop focusing on false finish lines going, you know what? What we've done is enough. This is good enough. We've, we've returned. That should be enough. I believe all across this room that God is wanting to speak to people and say this. Not in judgment. Oh, friend, not in judgment. I believe the heart of the prophet Haggai, as he brought this message, was a heart of compassion. I I believe. The message that God wanted to be delivered was a message of compassion. When he says this, consider your ways. Don't be distracted. Consider your ways. Don't be discouraged. Consider your ways. Instead, turn and be devoted and watch and see if I don't begin to pour out blessing on you even before you do a single bit of work because that's the heart of God.